Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to talk specifically about ministers and ministries and congregations and congregants. And what are they? What are they supposed to be doing? What was the actual appointment of Jesus Christ? What does the church look like? All these things. Today, the church is in shambles. People are leaving the church. People are abandoning the church. And most of the churches are just there to tickle your ears. All the prophecies about the, you know, the, the church leading the people astray, many people thinking that they're following Christ and they're actually workers of iniquity, uh, that people would end up becoming, uh, going into bondage and uh, becoming merchandise, cursing their children with that bondage. All that's taking place. All that exists today in the modern church and the modern church is in total apostasy. And that doesn't mean that everybody in those churches are, you know, wicked and condemned, but they are all in need of repentance. They need to turn around. They need to change their thinking. Now, to get people to change their thinking, you have to tell them somewhere along the line that what they're thinking now is wrong. It's an error. You ha- and because what they're thinking now is a delusion. It's a strong delusion. Well, they always say never to attack their delusion. They don't, they don't want to give up their delusion. It's like trying to take the life vest out of, you know, off the person before you've taken the person out of the water. He doesn't want that vest off. That is his security. That is what he is clinging onto. But that's all a part of the repentance process of letting go. Most of what we teach, most of what we show people, all the facts, the information is to help you pry yourself loose from your own delusion. You must make that choice to separate yourself from your delusion. And this same process was going on at the time of Christ and long before Christ came on the scene. Long before Jesus was born, people were already discussing these issues. And, you know, I point out with Polybius, for instance, who said, the masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of a rule of force and violence. Now you go back to John the Baptist. Until John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of the world, whatever you want to call it, people were trying to establish it by force, by violence, by the rule of law. By taking away from those who had and giving to those who did not have enough to provide social security by force, by forced contributions, by tribute. That's what tribute is, is it's a forced contribution to the government. And people were trying to do that. And this is, you know, Polybius, he lived, you know, hundreds of years before. He's, he's telling you know, I think it was about 175 years before Jesus was even born. So it's about, oh, it's over 200 years before he really began his ministry. 
Polybius was out there talking about the masses continuing with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by a rule of force and violence. He went on to say the people, having grown accustomed to feed at the expenses of uh, others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others, they instituted the rule of violence. In other words, the rule of force. They compelled the contribution of their neighbor so that they could have benefits. What benefits? Free education, take care of my parents in their old age, health care, that's the big issue today, health care. And people are arguing about that. And they're also arguing about what bathrooms people should be able to use. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Meanwhile, the preachers are sitting in their churches saying that they're preaching Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, if you have a need, you know, you you should go to church. You should go to the gathering, the congregation of the people. And those that have, share with those that do not have enough in a way that strengthens both. Strengthens the community. This is what John the Baptist... The whole preaching of John the Baptist was about this idea of living by charity rather than by force and violence. Most people calling themselves Christians today live by force and violence. They send your kids to public school, force and violence. You're forcing your neighbor to pay for your child's education. You... You don't take care of your parents. You send your parents to the government, to the temples of the government, for the government to take care of them with Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, etc. You're living by force and violence because those are funded by force and violence. They're also funded today by borrowing money against the future. So when you do that, you curse your children to pay the debt. That was incurred by taking care of your parents through the state. Taking care of your child's education through the state. Taking care of health care through the state. Because the state borrows against the future. Curses your children with debt. Every child in America, every child in the world today. Born as citizens of their country. Whatever it is. Australia, New Zealand, China, whatever. Are born in debt. They are born in bondage. Because... You have eaten sour grapes. You have eaten grapes before they were ripe. You you plucked the fruit before it was finished. You borrowed against the future. You became a surety for that debt. And you made your children surety for that debt. Now people are born in bondage. By the billions of people born in bondage. Seeking the kingdom of God is to seek to do that. Take care of society through faith, hope, and charity. That's simple. That's not complicated. It's just different than what you're hearing. So people are right now, or people saying, no, that's not true. That can't be true. Because if that was true, I would be wrong. If that was true, I wouldn't really be following Christ. If that were true, then I would not be a Christian. I know I'm a Christian because I am so vain. <laughs> you know, because they don't say that I'm so vain part. But that's actually what, what it is. They They have... All become merchandise, surety for debt, curse their children. That's a done deal. 
because of they continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force and violence, by the taxation of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. That's where you're at. Repentance requires that you think and go another way. So, Polybius talks about this institute, this rule of violence, and now uniting their forces, massacre, banish, plunder each other until they degenerate. The society itself degenerates again into a perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch. You want to make America great? You have to do what Christ said. You have to do what John the Baptist said. You have to turn around and change your thinking and stop looking to men who exercise authority one over the other for your benefits and start becoming the benefactors who exercise faith, hope, and charity. Charity is the same word for love. You have to love one another. You have to actually, in action, love one another. No more excuses about tithing. Oh, I don't produce animal by, you know, animal products, agricultural products, so therefore I don't have to tithe. Absurd. Absolutely, demonically absurd. You should be tithing. Now, who you should be tithing to, that's your choice. You've got to figure that out. That's, that's freedom. How much is your tithe? I mean, it's difficult to tell. I mean, what did you really earn this year? Maybe it was in dollars and cents. We could we could calculate it up with a calculator. But maybe what you did, your work you did today, was not, this year, was not just in dollars and cents. The point is, what is the produce of your life? What is 10% of your heartbeats and life today? What is that? It's not about a numerical number that you can fit into a ledger. God knows. You probably know, but you may not want to admit it. You should be giving back 10-20% of your life that God has given you, your heartbeats this year, to the service of God. And quit trying to fake it. Quit trying to fool yourself. Hell is filled with fools. Foolish virgins and not so virgin fools. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, this is this is what we have to do is change our thinking and go the other way, and that takes practice. You know, it's like learning to walk. You know, most kids it takes them you know weeks, maybe months to learn to walk. My son was oldest son was late in learning to walk, but he learned to walk in one day. Actually, before lunch, he learned to walk. He just decided that morning he was going to walk. And he didn't even crawl yet. Yeah, He never crawled. He rolled around the house if he wanted to go somewhere. It's strange, but that's just the way he was. And uh, he got around. And, he, of course, he was the only child at that time. And so we did a lot of carrying him. But uh, And we were traveling a lot. We had sold our house and all that stuff. So... He just never learned to walk. He never even really crawled. But then all of a sudden he saw somebody else walking, a little kid, and he wanted to follow them. So that day, before lunch, up and down, up and down, up and down, and he learned to walk by the end of the day. 
well, he learned to walk by lunch, and then by the end of the day, we took him out on the side of a hill and he learned to walk on a hill. <laughs> Another challenge. You need to learn to walk in the kingdom. You don't know how to do it. Your pastors are not teaching you how to live in the kingdom. They're not even teaching you what the kingdom is. They're not teaching you what it looks like. Your your ministers don't know what it means to minister. Oh, they know what it means to pat you on the head and make you feel good and and uh, play the modern minister. But that's not really a minister of the kingdom. And that's what we're going to talk about. What it looks like to be a minister of the kingdom. Well, you can't talk about being a minister of the kingdom without also talking about the congregation. The people who gather. Now, we've we toyed with many words. And I, I'll take a little sidetrack here. There's actually a couple of things that we could sidetrack on to give you a little explanation. Uh, in the news today, we had, uh, it says, during the second day of questioning uh, for the Senate confirmation hearing, uh, Trump U.S. Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch said that he accepted Roe versus Wade as the law of the land. And, of course, we knew that question was going to come up because he was going to be challenged on it. And it's opinion that a fetus is not a person. And so the person who sent me this was all upset because he agreed that a fetus is not a person. Well, we all pretty much know what a fetus is. It's a child not yet born. It's a child in the womb of the mother still. That's a fetus. But what's a person? And the fact is, Roe versus Wade is correct from the point of view of Roe versus Wade, from the point of view of the Supreme Court. A fetus is not a person. It's, it didn't say it wasn't human. It didn't say it didn't have a right to life. In fact, it said that its right to life was equal to that of the mothers at midterm. But it was not a person. Because a person is a member. That's the definition. When you're talking legal terms, you've got to look up legal definitions. A person is a member. And a fetus is not yet a member of the United States. So from, from the point of view of the United States federal government, which is the only point of view that the Supreme Court is going to rule on, can't rule on, on the God of heaven. It's only going to rule on from the point of view of the Supreme Court, the fetus is not a person. Its personhood does not attach till it's born. And then you can make a birth certificate and attach its membership, you know, which is we've explained in Call No Man Father that that's a three-part process. It's been a three-part process for thousands of years. And one of those parts of the process, the first one, is registration, birth registration which in Rome was kept in the Temple of Saturn. Today, it's kept in the Bureau of Vital Statistics, which is the equivalent of the Temple of Saturn. That's where you would keep those records. And they begin with birth registration. So until there's birth registration, the fetus is not a person. It has a right to life, but that isn't what Roe versus Wade is deciding. The guy writing this is all upset and everything. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He doesn't, he doesn't listen to words. He doesn't, 
He doesn't look up words and find out what they mean. He thinks he knows already. This is the problem with the modern church. A lot of good people in the modern church, a lot of good people who are striving to be ministers, they don't understand what they're saying. They don't understand what the Bible says, and they don't understand what they're saying and what people around them are saying. Because they don't understand words like person is a member. So we had we have a big problem with the saying that someone is a member of a congregation. Because being a member, it means that you are attached in some way. Now you're connected. Somehow, some portion of your rights are now vested in that, that uh, congregation. And... Now, if you were to create a congregation, ten people were to get together and create a congregation, they elected a minister. They could say, well, you're our minister, and we're going to make you a minister of the church. Well, the fact is, is the people can't make a man a minister of the church. They have to recognize that this man has a calling by Christ. It's Christ who makes him a minister. It's not the congregation. The congregation cannot unmake him a minister either. But the congregation does have a right to decide who will be their minister. They can look out amongst themselves and pick somebody they want to be their minister. And they only have power over the fact that you can be my minister or you can't be my minister. They don't have the power over anybody else's choice. They don't even, they can't even force that minister to be their minister. They only can give him the right to be their minister. Does does that mean they've given him any power? No. But when they give him something to support his ministry, they give him ten bucks. You know, give him a silver dime, a half shekel. And they say, here, use this for Christ. And they give it to him. They've given him power over that thing. That thing belonged to them. It was it was the result of their heartbeats that year. And they had produced this thing. And they gave those heartbeats represented by that thing, whether it's a sheep or a half shekel or what, doesn't really matter. He now has it, and he must use it for the purposes of Christ. Who's he answerable to? He's not answerable to you. You gave it to him. You let go of it. And But he is answerable to Christ. Now, that's a big thing in this cosmic universe of cause and effect. But you don't have control. You've burnt that offering up. You've let it go. But you've given him power over it. So he he does have power. He is a hierarchy. But his hierarchy is not over members of a congregation or other ministers. It's over the thing that has been giving him, given him. He has the power over that thing that has been laid on him, the responsibility. He is a stone of the altar. And he now has control over what was laid upon that altar of stone. Now, he has to gather with other ministers. And together, that's what makes him an altar. He's just an altar stone. He's not an altar unto himself. So, he has to gather with other ministers. But you can't regulate them. You can't control them. 
They talk all about, that's another thing in the news, regulations, federal regulations, government regulations. The regulations in the kingdom of God are regulations by Christ. Now, just today, you know, I, we've talked about this amongst the ministers for a long time, is that uh, personal contact ministers, which is something that we created just to start the network, and it was not really a minister of the church. It's a personal contact ministry. It helps people when they come to the network find a congregation. That's their job. A lot of them haven't been doing that. But that's their job. Help connect people with the network. Show them where materials are. Show them where books are. Show them where articles are. If they have questions. Find the answers. But ultimately their goal is to connect them with a congregation that they can congregate with. Well, originally we didn't require that personal contact ministers were congregants of in a congregation. Now we do. At first we didn't have very many congregations. Now we have more. So now all personal contact ministers must be viable members of a congregation. Now I said I use that word member. Viable congregants of a congregation. Now, they can be members in one sense, but in order to try to keep this clear in your mind, if we do not want to incorporate a congregation, it's not an unincorporated association either. It's a free assembly. That's a different kind of thing than most people are, are used to. So, anyway, now we require that they become members of, uh, or congregants of a congregation, and we also require that for people who want to be editors on the wiki pages at preparingyou.com. We require that they be viable members of a congregation. What do I mean by viable? A living, you know, how do you tell if something is viable? You know, if somebody is alive, you listen for a heartbeat. <laughs> you know, are they breathing in and out? You know, is is it viable? Is it functioning or is it dead? Well, what makes you dead? Jesus said... Let the dead bury the dead. Well, that's there were a lot of people walking around and they were considered dead because they of why because they made no sacrifice, they made no offering, they participated not. They were not sacrificing for one another. They they wanted to live their lives. They wanted to imagine that they were right, but they did not want to sacrifice their life for others. Not in the way that the kingdom requires. Not in the way that Christ requires. Require Christ required quite a bit. When you had faith in Christ, this was a big commitment. There was a change in the way you were going to be living. And when you wanted to become a minister, there was even a bigger change in the way you were going to be living. And there's a lot of people who don't want to make that change, but want to say they believe and follow Christ. Well, that doesn't make you viable if you don't want to make that change. Repentance shows the fruits of repentance, which we'll talk about when we return to Keys to the Kingdom.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, in the in the Gorsuch hearings, he said that a fetus is not a person. And of course, now I've explained to you why a fetus is not a person. It's a human being. It's a it's a man or a woman in fetus in, 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 uh, in the womb. It has a right to life, which even Roe versus Wade admits that it has a right to life. It just not has attached a legal identity that the legal system can protect and control and manipulate. Now, a lot of people want to change that and give personhood status to the fetus. And they think that's the solution. Absolutely not. That is the worst thing in the world you could do. That's jumping from the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> and uh, I could give you a good example of that in the in the play Macbeth. But, uh, you know, you do not want that. Absolutely do not want that. That is not the solution to the abortion problem. But most people don't even... they Once that person believes that they're right about something... It's very difficult to get them to think any other way. They're very stuck in their ways. And and that's just the, the way it uh, has always been. And, you know, there's not much I can do about that. Humility is the only thing that will bring you to it. And unfortunately, what will bring you to humility is disaster. And disaster shall soon be upon you. And you'll have a great opportunity for humility. But you don't have personhood in a congregation and that gives you some sort of get out of jail free card because now you're in a separate jurisdiction. You're not. You're, you're bound in the unrighteous mammon. You've become merchandise. And people who want to cheat on their income tax and not pay their taxes or evade their taxes, that is not going to get them any closer to the kingdom. What's going to get you closer to the kingdom is following Christ's example. Christ was rich. He made himself poor. And he became a minister of God's kingdom to John the Baptist. But he also was the rightful heir to the throne. You see, there was no king in Israel at first. So where was the power of the state? All the power of the state came from the people. That's how... States don't just invent power. They don't just get their power from God. They get it from the people. People give them power over them by giving them power over their neighbor. You take from my neighbor and make sure I have these benefits and because I, I have this appetite for benefits at the expense of my neighbor. What happens? You go into bondage, which we see in, you know, be careful you do not bite out of one another, take a bite out of one another, lest you be devoured. Which is exactly what you've done. Which is, you know, you go to Proverbs 23. Go, I mean, it's all over the Bible everywhere. Telling you not to covet your neighbor's goods. Because you're going to be caught or snared in that one purse common welfare system that you created. Where you were... Fine with taking from your neighbor, but you yourself did not want to be taken. I mean, are you taking care? Did you take care of your parents? Did you take care of your children? Did you take care of your wife? Are you taking care of your wife now? If the state's doing all these jobs for you, then you owe the state and you should start paying your income tax and pay it in full. 
because you didn't take care of yourself. Quit being angry at the system. Forgive the system. Let God be angry at the system. He's much better at it. He knows what be friends with the unrighteous mammon. Do your job. And then now turn around and start thinking about providing benefits in a system that operates by faith, hope, and charity. Join a congregation of people. Now, I'm going to sidetrack again a little bit here for congregation because somebody just just wrote that he he left the congregation because I I don't I actually don't know why he left the congregation. Something was wrong, and we've seen this before where other people are very picky about what congregation they want to belong to. You don't belong to a congregation. You just congregate. This is your assembly. You're going to get good, bad, and ugly people in your congregation. That's just going to happen. Let me ask you this, though. Because a congregation is somewhat like a family where God is your father. Okay? The minister's not your father. God is your father. But you're congregating with these people. Did you know that a family is a congregation created by God? I mean, say you have five kids, ten kids, whatever. Do you only get to love the good-looking ones, or do you have to love the ugly ones, too? You only have to love the ones who are obedient and good and all this stuff, or are you supposed to love the ones who are not obedient? The troublemakers. Do you get to say, well, I I will take care of these kids, but I'm not going to take care of these kids? Don't you have to, when you ha- God gives you a child, you're stuck with that child. Okay, if you congregate with a congregation, do you require that they be perfect? Because as, what, how, you, how you judge, God will judge you. Are you perfect? No, I don't think so. Stop looking for the perfect congregation and just start congregating. Love will solve the problems. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Don't seek the perfect congregation because if you found it, they won't let you in (laughs) because you're not perfect. A congregation is, this is why it's important to understand that you're not a member of a congregation. You're not a, a corporation or an unincorporated association. So you're not an association. You're a free assembly. You just walk into a room and hopefully you bring the Holy Spirit with you. And if enough of you bring the Holy Spirit, others who are not of the Holy Spirit will leave. That's the way it works. Okay, now a minister asks the question, can a minister minister to more than ten families? Because normally the early church in the wilderness and the early churches, and you can see this by looking at historical records all over uh, the Roman Empire and beyond, that the early churches were Dutchins, uh, ten families. And those ten families got together and picked a minister. And ten of those ministers got together and they picked a minister. That's really what you would call a church group. You know, it's about a hundred or so people. And it has ten ministers. Now, I shouldn't say people, a hundred or so families. So, I mean, maybe thousands of people, depending on how big the families are. 
and but it may have several ministers too. But that was the structure of the early church. Why? Because that's a that's a structure of communities even way back before Nimrod was doing this. Gathering in these tens, hundreds, thousands. Because it makes sense. It just makes sense. It just works that way. I mean, why do you have ten fingers? Because it works that way. So anyway, can a minister minister to more than one ten families? A minister who's actually doing his job as a minister of God's kingdom is ministering to thousands of families. Every single minister is ministering to thousands of families. But what what is what is a ministry? You see, we have to get away from this ear tickling ministry concept. You know that you know I I went to my minister and we talked and I felt so much better afterwards. You know, sometimes people come to me and they talk with me and they're in tears. I can't even figure out what the heck. Why why are they so upset? I'm just we're just talking here. <laughs> I have a tendency to convict people. <laughs> they see their failings. To the point where some of them, you know, I've even had ministers who are afraid to call me. Because they don't want to see any more about themselves. They don't want to learn about themselves. They don't want to see where they're falling short of the kingdom of God. So they avoid conversations with me. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily, you know, I beat you guys over the head to general radio listeners, but I'm not, I'm not beating them over the head. I'm just talking about how the kingdom works. And they, they're convicted because they're, they're being made aware of how they're falling short of the ways of the kingdom. So what, a lot of the times those people will start creating all kinds of rituals and, uh, and, and ways you need to say things and do things and everything. Because that gives them a sense that they're right. You know, the, the the Jewish fable thing, you know, and all these kinds of, you know, keepers of days and all this stuff. Because it gives them a sense of being right. If you're really preaching the Holy Spirit, you're going to be giving people a sense they're doing things wrong. Because you're going to be awakening them to the fact that they are doing things wrong. But ministers today are putting people to sleep not waking them up. They're making them feel good in their sin and iniquity. And they call that ministering. No. That's the that's that's the synagogue of Satan. It's the opposite. Now I know we've been trained to do this. It's become a habit. But that is not the way it works. The way it works is that your minister is to make you feel often. Make you feel uncomfortable. God will comfort you. The Holy Spirit will comfort you. And the Holy Spirit will come when you begin to admit the truth about yourself. You should be making your congregation cry. (laughs) You should be making your congregation remorseful and repentant. Not making them feel good. That's what a minister does. He does not keep the secrets of the kingdom from the people, some of the basic secrets of the kingdom, which is to care about one another. That is really what ministering is. But why do I say that a minister who is really doing his job is ministering to thousands of families? 
Well, there are going to maybe be ten families who pick him as a minister. And he serves those ten families. And now, it doesn't take that much time to serve ten families. But he may be doing, there's more to, you know, there was, there was the um, sheep gate to Jerusalem. And there was a fish gate, and there were a couple other gates. Uh, there was an Essene gate. But uh, what what are they talking about? The, the, the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The ten families. That minister, his job is not to tickle the ears of that ten families. But to connect that ten families to 90 other families. Because he is the key gateway between those ten families and the 90 other families that are served by the church. You have to remember now that the church was the... There were... If you got the baptism of Jesus Christ, there were no more benefits going to come to you from the men who exercised authority one over the other. Heck, we got people who think they're ministers and they're collecting Social Security. Now, anybody can minister to anybody. You don't have to be a minister. But you cannot be a minister of, you know, an ordained minister of his church. You can be a minister and still have, you still collect Social Security. But you need to be under a minister who is actually following the dictates of Christ. Dictates of Christ required that the ministers that he appointed lived in the world, but not of the world. If you're collecting Social Security, you are of the world. If you're using a Social Security number, you are of the world. That's just the way it is. I can't change that. Now, being separate to be a minister is not about salvation. Salvation is something else. That's by grace. To be a minister, ordained minister of his church, that's a calling. That's an appointment by God. Either you recognize that appointment or you don't recognize that appointment. But if God recognizes, it's a done deal. If you recognize it, then you hear the voice of God to his shepherds, his appointed shepherds. See, the congregants are the sheep, but the ministers are the shepherds. They are hired by the owner of the flock, which is Christ. Now, right now, the owner of the flock is the Federal Reserve (laughs) and the kingdoms of the world. Because you've you've been entangled again in the yoke of bondage. If you want to change that, you have to start thinking a different way and start going another way and start acting another way. Start being another way. Start having another kind of attitude towards one another. Instead of coveting one another's goods, you have to start loving one another. You can't get through the gate any other way. Because that's what Christ did. And Christ is the gate we need to go through. So, a minister is going to be a part of an entire social welfare system, a daily ministration, takes care of all the needs of a congregation through faith, hope, and charity alone. Unspotted by the world. That's the practice of pure religion. 
nobody's hardly even near that. They've got all kinds of things that they see, symbols, interpretations. But until they become a daily administration, they can't get through the other gates. They can't become a part of the kingdom. They stay on the outside. You remember when the people returned to the pagan ways of the golden calf? And and those of you who have read our articles on golden calf understand that the golden calf was the central reserve bank. It was a reserve fund for a nation. Everybody took their wealth and they would put it into this golden calf. And then now everybody was committed to protecting it. But Moses found this terrible. And so he called out the Levites. And they were to be separate. They were to be the church in the wilderness. They called out in the wilderness. And Jesus called out people. Because he said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. And I'm going to give it to another group. That's The Levites were the ministers of the kingdom. The kingdom is from generation to generation. And if you had Levites who were actually doing their job, taking care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity, you would not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. But you don't have that. Who was supposed to be the modern Levite? Supposed to be the bishops and deacons and ministers of the church. Jesus is taking the kingdom away from the uh, uh, Pharisees, the apostate church, and going to appoint it to another group. That means that the church in the wilderness, which was the Levites of Israel, was replaced by the church in Judea appointed by Christ. Which makes those people who congregate In the name of Jesus Christ, true congregants of Christ, viable congregants of Christ, are Israel. This is a hot debate. People get upset about this all the time. The church, people say, the church is not Israel. Well, to some degree that's true. The church are the Levites. The church plays the role of the Levites. Somebody said, oh, I I never heard that. Well, Jerome said it. He said the bishops, presbyters, and deacons occupy in the church the same position as those which were occupied by Aaron, his sons, and the Levites in the temple. You can look it up. That's the guy who translated the Bible into Latin, Jerome. I don't agree with Jerome a lot, but I agree with him here. It was common knowledge. I mean, Jesus said, I'm taking the kingdom away from these guys. I'm going to appoint it to these guys. And he did it. So that means that whatever they were doing before the new church, not the church in the wilderness now, but the church here in Judea and eventually throughout the Roman Empire, had their job. And those who congregated with those ministers of a government, one form of government, were the new Israel. So if you use the word church in its general sense that includes both the community and society, then the church is Israel. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be blackballed by a bunch of people who are just going to shut me down because they don't want to believe that. But there you see it. Jesus said, I'm taking from them, giving it to them. That's Israel. Israel's not over, So that, that means that Israel's not over there in the Middle East. That's... Any more than Paris is in Texas. 
There's a Paris, Texas, but it's not Paris, France. And the Israel over there is not the kingdom of God. And so if they built a temple, that isn't the temple. The temple is something else, just like the golden calf. So what? It, what's the sacrifice of the red heifer? We have an article on that. Because they're out looking for an actual red heifer, and the red heifer of the Bible isn't a cow, a bovine, neither is it red in color. It's something else entirely. Go read that article if you want to understand that. But a congregation who is actually repenting and walking and loving, which is the same word for charity in the Hebrew and in, uh, in uh, Greek even, that love, that charity, that free will offering makes him viable. If he doesn't have that, then he's not a viable congregant. The minister will know. But without that contribution, regular contribution, then he's not a viable congregant. And therefore, he wouldn't be allowed on the wiki page editing staff. He wouldn't be a PCM. He would not be practicing pure religion. At least not with us. He might be doing it somewhere else. I don't know. That's between him and God. But what we're doing is what Christ said for the church to do. We're not doing anything else. First Corinthians 16.2 says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. So, the first day of the week, that would be Sunday. So, there we see Paul saying to collect money on Sunday. Now, they already had their day of rest on the Sabbath. Now, they're down to business. What business? The business of the kingdom. The business of the Levites to serve the tabernacles of the congregation. What was their welfare system when the Levites were the church in the wilderness? It was the Levites. That's why you were tithing to them. If if you're going to tithe several times a year where they get 10, 20, maybe even 30% some years, why are they getting three times the average congregant's income? Because they got a job. Their Corbin, their sacrifice, is to take care of the needy of society. In a welfare system operating by faith, open charity, not force. There was no king to foolishly impose a tax upon the people. It was a government without taxation. But it only works if there is free will offerings. And that's what a congregation does. But the reason that minister is there is so that that congregation of ten families can share their offering with people they don't even know. They have to give to somebody they don't even know to be blessed by God. Because what grace is there? What thanks is there? What grace is there is what it actually says. If you only love those that love you. I mean, you only give to their congregation. So people who make a big thing out of why I only want to give to a congregation that meets my specifications. You're missing it. That isn't, Christ didn't say, I, I'm only going to preach to those who love me. He preached to those who didn't love him. In hopes that they eventually did. So you congregate with people who aren't perfect and hope that they become perfect. 
pretty simple stuff. Well, we'll get back to this next on Keys of the Kingdom. Stay tuned. Got more for you. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And so we're talking about the the ministry of the church and what it means to be a minister of the church. If you don't have a daily ministration that takes care of all the social welfare and need of your congregants through a network that extends to other congregations of tens, hundreds, and thousands, you have need of repentance because you ain't doing what the first century church was doing. I mean, Paul's writing Corinthians. He's going to spend F, uh, uh, Pentecost in Ephesus. And he wants them to do the collecting at the beginning of every week on Sunday after their Sabbath. So that when he comes that there is no gathering. Because he's not going to stay there for a long time. He's going to come, get the funds, and take them. Where? And for what? This is going to be going into helping maybe Galatia, maybe, you know, Ephesus, maybe, I don't know. That's for the ministers to decide. If you don't have that attitude as a congregant, that you're going to help other congregations a long ways off that you don't even know, you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you. Because Christ came to help people he didn't even know. People that were miles away from him, people that weren't even born yet. He came to die for people all over. I mean, completely die. We're just asking for contribution. I'm not asking for them. This is what Christ wants you to do. He wants you to love one another. Using the same word we see translated into charity. He wants you to charity one another. In a network that goes from congregation to congregation to congregation. You know, if you go to 150 AD, Justin the Martyr. He wrote his apologies to Antonius Pius, who was the emperor of Rome. And also, you know, kind of the uh, tutor of Marcus Aurelius, who was following him and become emperor himself. He, in his attempt to explain Christianity, this other form of government, to the government of Antonius Pius, he, he wrote his apology. This is what... This is who he's addressing. It's always good whenever you read anything in the Bible. Who are they talking to? You know, Paul's talking to Corinthians and say, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay upon him, their minister, in store as God hath prospered you. That there be no gathering when I come. Because he didn't want you going out gathering when he comes. When he comes, he wants you to be there talking. All that work of the church was done before. All that ministering of the church was done before. Ministering is not tickling their ears. It's saying, give, share. 
Because they, they're not getting any grace unless they love with charity one another. Not just in their little congregational group, but the next congregation. But I tell you, ministers covet their congregations. They don't want their congregation thinking about other congregations. Oh, they'll, they'll think about some mission in Africa or South America. You know, we want you to think about those guys because there's not any real competition there. But they don't want you thinking about the minister, you know, ten blocks down or two towns over. They don't want you thinking about them. They want you to be focused. I mean, they do this unconsciously. I mean, they've been trained to think this way. But Justin the Martyr, he wrote his apology explaining the kingdom to Antonius Pius. And you need the kingdom explained to you, evidently. So let's read what he had to say. And he actually talks about gathering on Sunday. That doesn't mean they didn't have the Sabbath on the Sabbath. It means that they were gathering to do church business on the first working day of the week, Sunday. So what is the business of the church? He says, and the wealthy among us, in other words, wealthy, those who have more, among us help the needy. And he says, and willingly give what each thinks fit. And what is collected is deposited with the president. Now that's the translated word. It's the principus, the you know the the minister. This is what a minister is supposed to be doing, who succors the orphans and widows and those who, through sickness or any other cause, are in want. Now, any other cause does not include lazy, drunken lout. <laughs> Drug addict individual. He has to come clean. He can't continue in his sin. Whoremonger, whatever. But it's cause has made him this, not his choice. So he says, are in want and those who are in bonds and the strangers sojourning amongst us in, in a word, takes care of all who are in need. So, here we see people who aren't congregants, but are strangers, sojourning amongst us. Now, we could look at the word stranger and sojourning, and maybe that is a congregant in another congregation who we don't even know, but we know they're a congregation who happens to be sojourning amongst us. But they're not a member of our congregation. You know, we have a member of a congregation in L.A. who's living in Colorado. We actually have a minister in of Michigan who's living in Florida. And we can get away with that right now because of the fact that there's communications available. But eventually we want to kind of avoid that. If you're going to live in Florida, you should have a congregation in Florida. And if you're going to live in Colorado, you should join a Colorado congregation. But that doesn't always work out. So in the meantime, it's just important that you belong to, or connected, I shouldn't say belong, are connected in giving to one congregation. Now you can give to, you can give to anybody. You can give to the bum on the street. You can give to congregations everywhere. But 
Your connection to the kingdom is through that one minister you have chosen. And you fund him so that he can think kingdom, act kingdom, minister kingdom. Not just minister your local congregation. You have to have that flow inwardly to outwardly. So anyway, as I said, you know, those willing, you know, they give what each thinks fit. And what is collected is deposited with the president who suckers the orphans and widows of those who through sickness or any other cause or in want are in want and those who are in bonds and the strangers sojourning amongst us. That is the practice of pure religion. They take care of all who are in need. But the modern church, if anybody's in need, go to this government, go to this benefactor who exercises the authority, go to this government program who does not operate like the kingdom. What are they thinking? And they call themselves the church, they're workers of iniquity. Now, what do you do if you're a minister in one of these churches? They're actually, most of the people are working. In the, oh, they talk Jesus. They got a great talk about Jesus. They sing some songs. They get all worked up emotionally. Maybe they sing on the street. We got a minister that I know, you know, down in, uh, I think he's in Carolinas now. Big for going out and, you know, dancing and singing. But where's their daily ministration? Oh, they help people here and there and everything. But where's the actual daily ministration? How many Widows are totally dependent upon them and not using Social Security at all. How many? Zero. Zilch. Nada. Not kingdom. Not kingdom because you want to go dance and sing. That's foolish virgin stuff. You, you know, when you need help, nobody's going to let, let you in. You can knock and knock and knock and knock, but nobody's going to let you in. You sang and you danced, but you did, you were a foolish virgin. You were not a part of the kingdom. You chose not to be a part of the kingdom. That is foolish virgin stuff. So what, but say you are a minister of a church, you got a hundred people in your church and everything and, and you're doing it like the world does it, the world church. You're not separate from the world. You're in the world, you're in, you know, you, you, you're paying into Social Security, you're using a Social Security number, you're not, certainly not separate. You're of the world. So what do you do? Do you just leave all that? We've had a number of ministers. I actually got one calling me up again, and somehow or other, he, he's not getting the message on joining the network. <laughs> But he's got his ministry, he's got the people that he serves, but he isn't coming together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So you have a hundred-man congregation. Form his church too. That's your job. That's your job in the world. Those hundred people, two hundred people in your congregation. And you talk about Jesus, but if you really want to start ministering kingdom ways, form a congregation of ten. Find ten people whether they're in your congregation of the world or not, it's that's up to you, wherever you find them. Become a recognized His Church congregation too. Don't quit your day job. Still go out there and do this. But 
when you find those who are willing to hear more, share more. You have this congregation that you serve, ten families, and you have this other in the world church over here, 501c3 in the world church with 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 congregations. That's your day job. You're supposed to be gleaning in the field at night for your straw. Building that kingdom. Eventually what will happen is the importance of that kingdom may increase. That ten family will increase and maybe you'll become a bishop. Maybe you'll have two congregations and you just appoint a minister to each of those congregations. You become a minister of ministers. You become an actual bishop. You know, what? What? what is this episcopal? That's what we translate into bishop. An overseer of other ministers. And they may have day jobs that support them, so they don't need to live by the tithe. But they're not, they're only serving ten families in a network, so they, they've got time to do that. And they're a licensed minister. And maybe if you did that, you'd be ready to become an ordained minister and be separate be separate from the world. But then that's a big choice to take that position of being separate. So anyway, we tell people start with any kind of a congregation. Two men, two or more witnesses say you're a minister and we recognize that. Your day job in the world in a 501c3 incorporated church, whatever, that's just your day job. And you're going to find your sermons touching people, awakening people to the fact that we're not really taking care of one another the way we're supposed to, that we're not really following Christ. And you you will find more and more places in your daily sermons to them to bring them closer to the kingdom. But when you really start doing what people like Justin were doing and others which is according to Christ, you're going to start seeing more. If you hesitate on this, forming a congregation of record and serving that congregation of record in the way that you really are supposed to be ministering, your your eyes will be darkened. Scales will be put on your eyes. And you will not see everything you need to see. So anyway... To be an actual minister, and we're going to start a study group. Where we're, it'll probably be on Tuesdays, but uh, talk to your local congregational ministers. Talk on your local groups, email groups. And uh, it looks like it's going to be on Tuesday. And we're going to start going through the free church report. But we're going to try to develop an actual study group that is really getting down to the nitty-gritty and maybe we'll end up putting some of the messages to video and we'll get them out to the rest of the world. What the church that Jesus was appointing was directly, now we've already seen that, directly in accord with what the Levites were doing. The Levites were to be separate. The Levites owned all things in common because they had no personal estate. Jesus is telling his his apostles they had to give up all their property. He actually uses the word property there. Yet we know the early church had property. 
because Antonius uh, Diocletian and all these guys, I mean, Diocletian was sued because he, his government had taken church property. And they sued an international court that they needed it returned. And eventually did get returned. We have to understand that this this idea of the church not having property, the church having property but holding it in common, the idea that the called out are separate from the world, they belong to God, they're not merchandise of the world. I know all kinds of people who are beginning to discover that they're in bondage and they're merchandise in the world and they're surety for debt and they want out of that. But they don't want to repent and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. They just want out. They want to talk the talk, but they don't want to walk the walk. You can't just liberate yourself by claiming Jesus. You have to actually do what He said. Not those who say, but those who do what He, he said to do. So the ministers have to start doing what he said to do. And the first thing we see them doing is forming a daily ministration. Because that's what Christ said to do. And you don't really love one another unless you do that. So they they, they form this network. They say, look out amongst yourselves by men you trust. And we will appoint them over this business. So that's that's really important. And we could, we could go along farther, but people have to actually congregate in viable congregations, giving on a regular basis. Not so that their congregation will have lots of money, but so that the whole church body will have the resources it needs so it can rightly divide the bread from house to house. You know, if you read the Didache, which is one of the uh, extra biblical books, but it was written at the time by Christians says, therefore, elect for yourselves bishops and deacons worthy of the Lord, men who are meek and not lovers of money, no, true and approved, and they also perform for you the ministry of the prophets and the teachers. What is that ministry again? It is the daily ministration in a way that strengthens the poor. Which we see back in Ezekiel sixteen forty nine. Behold, this was the iniquity of Sodom, uh, sister Sodom, pride. See, that's what we have. The ministers today they're so proud of their, you know, theological training and their studies and all this stuff. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance. We've had abundance in this country, and idleness. That's what they really have is an abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. To strengthen their hand is to teach them how to fish. Teach them how to take care of one another. I mean, there's so much we could do in that in that vein, in that, that process. But, People aren't thinking in those terms. They're the masses continuing with that appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of rule or force and violence. The people having grown accustomed to feeding at the expense of others and to depend upon their livelihood 
on the prosperity of others institute the rule of violence. This is socialism. And it makes them savages. That's what you see. I mean, what was they just had that uh, where women weren't supposed to go to work that day, you know, and everything. One of the chief organizers of that was just convicted of terrorism and is and is agreed to be deported from the country in order to avoid jail time. But this was one of the organizers of that event. The same way, I mean, you had martyrs organizing the women's march. I mean, they didn't just murder a guy; they tortured a black guy. To death. I think to death. Yeah, that, yeah, to death. They tortured him. Went to jail for it. Came out. Organized the women's march. <laughs> so, but we have so many misconceptions about the Old Testament and the New Testament and what it is. And it's so simple. It's so simple. The, the early Christians, their, their solution was not to pray to the fathers of the earth when they needed benefits. They needed help. You know, for free bread and the benefits of that social welfare system. They they didn't do that. They repented of that, thinking that way. Because they knew that was a snare. And, and they knew that that table that was set by such fathers and benefactors of the earth would bring you into bondage. So they set the table of the Lord. That required that somebody give. That's what Eucharist is. Thanksgiving. Thankful for the opportunity to give. The Eucharist of Christ is giving. Charity is giving. Love is charity. Charity is love. And was able to form a daily ministration established by his church through faith, hope, and charity. And what? Paul calls the perfect law of liberty. You haven't done that. You call it ministering when you make people feel good about the fact that they are in bondage to the world and the flesh because they are devouring their neighbor. They're taking a bite out of their neighbor when everybody that's in your congregation that's on welfare or social security or sending their kids to public school is taking a bite out of their neighbor. It's it, that's simple. That's easy to understand. But then people get into all these. We had a caller the other day was asking about the Mandela effect in relationship to this: uh, the lion shall lay down with the lamb, because we see that painting, the picture of a lion laying down with the lamb. The, the Jehovah Witnesses spread that picture around, but that isn't what the actual text says. It says the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Now it doesn't say lay down there. It says dwell with. And the leopard shall lie down with the kids. That's a leopard with a kid goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. But the modern church, that child isn't leading them. God isn't leading them. But anyway, the, the Mandela effect is that people think that time travelers have actually changed these verses, and so that used to say, lie it down with the lamb. But uh, now, it doesn't say that. It says, with a wolf. But actually, we gave the analogy when I explained this before. What's the wolf in Rome? 
the the children are sucking the milk of a wolf, and the wolf has milk, not because it grazed in the field, but because it ate others that grazed in the field. It was a wolf. And they lie with a wolf. So anyway, what does all that mean? Uh, and we see it was it Isaiah sixty five uh, twenty five the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. Of course, that go back to Adam and Eve, and the, that was the dust was what's supposed to be eaten by the serpent. But then, what is the Hebrew word for dust? Because it's not always translated dust. Uh, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains. What are mountains? It's peoples, saith the Lord. Now, are you, because you go to church and you call yourself a Christian, are you really a Christian? It, just because of what you say, that doesn't make it so. You have to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then the kingdom of God is supported by charity and the perfect law of liberty. The problem is not many Christians spend a whole lot of time actually reading the Bible and memorizing his passages like Isaiah uh, rightly said wolf and not lion but they they live according to images they get an image of what they think Christ wanted they get an image of what they think the Old Testament wanted and they worship that image it's an image in their head. It's not real. It's not really what Christ wanted. It's contrary to what Christ wanted. You know, Revelations twenty, uh, uh, verses 7 through 9, it says, And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out and deceive the nations which are the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle the numbers whom is as the sands of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints. That's where we're at today. That's where we've gone today. Because we've abandoned Christ. We've rejected God. We're, that he should not rule over us. That we do not have to take care of one another. We just have to say these words and think these thoughts and we are you cannot enter the gate that way Jesus says those foolish virgins are going to be locked out they have no oil how do you get oil how do you get the anointing that's what oil means is anointed how do you get that how do you get the you you can't conjure it up through acts you're either chosen or you're not chosen but if you're chosen, you need to act according to that choice. So we're looking for ministers to train. We're looking for congregants who want to come to the Free Church Report study group that will be on Tuesdays. But you have to join the network. You have to go to preparingyou.com, join the network, pick a minister, become a viable congregant, a living congregant, part of the living network. And then we can all start turning around together going the way that Christ said that we were to go. But you have to come together in faith, hope, and charity, which is love. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, basically, Christ was teaching a way. They call it the way. That's what the early church was called, the way. And that way was a way of faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. In other words, you get to choose. They did look out amongst themselves. They picked ministers that they would choose. Jesus had picked ministers to be the ministers of the kingdom who were not supposed to be a part of the world. They had to be separate. But the church is not a state. This church does have standing in the law of nations, but it does not have the exercising authority to make contracts, covenants, and constitutions for the people. The people, all the power of the state, we started off talking, all the power of the state comes from the people. All the power of the people comes from God. God bestows the power of choice upon the people. But the people come together and give that power to other men like Nimrod, Saul, Caesar, etc. They're not supposed to do that, but they have a right to do that. But when they do that, they are following something other than the way. They are rejecting God. And so, how do they get back to be free souls under God? I mean, if you go to Adam and Eve and you study them and... And you see, wait a minute, they decided to decide for themselves what was good and what was evil. This is what you do when you elect a leader and you want him to decide what is good and evil. You want him to make things right. You have, if you do that, you're not going to have the comforter come. You're not going to have the Holy Spirit come. But if you gather together the way Christ said to gather, the way that Moses said to gather, then the Holy Spirit can come and show you the way and guide you in the way. But then you you will find yourself taking care of all the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. If you don't have that, you ain't there yet. Okay? You have need of repentance. So anyway, the Free Church Report it was a product of a number of years of work trying to correlate what Christ wanted the church to do and how does that fit into the world we see today, which includes the legal system. And I was uncannily surprised and pleasantly surprised that Christ was so smart. <laughs> that that his his ministry, the way he was setting things up, actually makes the minister separate. And today, the law allows a minister who will fulfill the criteria of Christ to come out of the system. But if he is coming out of the system so that he will be free, he is not coming out for the purposes of Christ. Because Christ did not come to be free. He came to serve. I am one who cometh to serve. So the church should be serving and is not serving to tickle the ears of your past, uh, uh, pastorage or your, your congregation. That is not serving them. To making them feel good. We're going to make them feel bad. Our intent is not to make them feel bad, but our intent is to see, help them see the truth, but the truth hurts. If you want to understand how this kingdom of God works, how it functions in the world today, how it can, ordained ministers can be separate. We will try to show you. But there is absolutely no reason to show you if you do not want to create a daily ministration. We don't have the means to do it. It's up to the people. We are, we're like 
you know, when at the loaves and fishes. And people do not understand that story. The people started to give and share. That is a miracle. And that, the early church, those people gave, the ministers gave up their property to become the modern Levites of their time and to serve the people. So we see uh, the Free Church Report talking about the Free Church and the Free Congregation Report, which is just telling you how it works. Uh, it says this report is designed to deal with the edification, assistance, and maintenance of a free church and congregation. They're separate because the Levites were separate. The power of the state was in the hands of the people. It's not in your hands anymore because you, your fathers have eaten sour grapes and turned your teeth on edge. You have been sold into bondage. You have been cursed. You have been made merchandise and surety for debt. That's where you're at. But if you come together in these free assemblies that we call congregations, within the righteous activities of the kingdom of God, as seen in the first century, if you start doing that and learning that way, the opportunity of everybody coming out will come. His Holy Church offers a three-step plan in the formation of a free church. But that's just on paper. We also show you the plan of Christ on how those people who form that free church, we've had people trying to form a congregation and say that, you know, now they're not a part of the state because they've formed a congregation. No. You could save yourself if that were true. There is a practical side to the rituals of Christ. And the rituals of the church. And if you unmoor the practical side from the truth and meaning of those rituals, you will get nothing. So anyway, again, I encourage everybody to join the network. Join a local congregation. Start working together to become a daily ministration. And then we take it to the next step. You will not understand that until... The next step until you understand those basics. The church is not what we say it is, but what the authority that established the church says it is, and that authority was Christ. The the church was established almost 2,000 years ago by the man called Yeshua, or Yahshua. He is known today by the name and title of Jesus Christ, Messiah, Savior, and called specific men and, and and taught them. This is what he did. He called certain men out and taught them how to be the ministers of the kingdom and put requirements upon them. They had to do it this way. Just like Moses put requirements on the Levites who were to become the ministers of the kingdom. There are elements of the world and the elements of the church that are quite distinct. And understanding those differences is very important because the church is not of the world. The church specific, which is the ministers of the church, are not of this world. Not of this constitutional order or system of government. They are a separate jurisdiction. 
And that is where we need to get to in order to live by faith, hope, and charity. In order to receive the Holy Spirit. We don't need to dance and sing. You can do that. But that is not the key. You need to come into harmony with Christ. Dance His dance. Do what He did. And that's a scary thought because he got crucified. You know, that word ekklesia, which we translate into church, is one of dozens of Greek words that meant, in part, an assembly. But it specifically means a called-out assembly. And that's what the apostles were. They were called out of one system, and therefore then they were assembled in another system. They were separate from the world. That's where you need to be if you want to be a minister of Christ. But in order to get there, you have to start. You have to start turning around and start going the other way. You want to start forming those congregations, not coveting a large church, but form that congregation. Eventually, what will happen if you go this way, you will become a bishop. You will still have hundreds of people in that congregation, but you now you will have ten assistant ministers <laughs> that will get one-on-one treatment. But I'll, I'll bet you by that time, many of your congregants will have turned over and new congregants, congregants will have taken their place because people do not want to go this way. This is exactly what Christ had to deal with. That That people did not, you know, and he said, you got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. You have to do it this way. You have to live by charity. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't want to do that. Give up all our benefits. We see the blind man's parents, they didn't want to risk losing their benefits. Now, you don't have to start there, but that you have to realize that's where we're going. But to tell you the truth, and you just heard it, uh, some of you heard it at the break, you're going to lose your benefits anyway. You know, pending economic doom. That's what That was what was coming upon the people at the time of Jesus. You know, right away, dearth in the land. That's what it means. Economic destruction. Economies faltering, falling. And it took them hundreds of years, but it was not getting any better. Before it would get better, it got a lot worse. You, we have to work at this unselfishly. There is no other way because unselfish is the name of Christ. A giver of life. That is what Christ was all about. So anyway, we we have a section on studying the material. Ultimately, I'm not going to teach you the way of the kingdom. I can teach, intellectually I can talk about it. But to really know the way of the kingdom, he's going to build his church by revelation. Not by the flesh and blood of man, but by revelation. I'm just sharing with you what I I see and what I've been shown. I freely give it away to you. But it's not going to do you any good unless you walk the walk. You have to do these things. These are little things, but you have to take these steps. 
in order to get to where Christ wants you to go, which is seeking this kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if your congregation is not living entirely by faith, hope, and charity, it is not living by righteousness. If it still has a covetous relationship with the world, that's not, it's not pure religion. I understand it's going to take some time to get there. But that's where you've got to be going. That's where you've got to want to go. And that we're just showing you how that fits into the world today. We also correlate it with how it fit into the world back then. But people can find all kinds of excuses to set things off. And we saw that at the time of Jesus Christ. Oh, let me go bury my father. Let me go do this. Let me go do that. I don't see where this, you know. No. You're running out of time. Join the network. Join a living congregational network by becoming a viable congregant. Letting go. I tell you, there's a huge release in the fact that you are willing to let go of what you thought was true and you know really is not true. These are not real Christians out here. The world would not be on the verge of this collapse if these real Christians were really Christians. If all the people in, in, in America that claimed to be Christians were actually doing what Christ said, you would be looking at a different world. It would change the whole face of the world, just the United States. If they actually were doing what Christ said. Wow. That's an unbelievable change. So this kingdom of God, which is, you know, from generation to generation, because the Levites were not the entirety of the kingdom. They were appointed a kingdom, a dominion, a responsibility. They were, it was taken away from the Pharisees and given to them. They were the new Levites. When they say taken away from the Pharisees, they were taken away from the Levites, which were decimated under uh, Hyrcanus just not too many years before they said there were so many of them killed or banished there wasn't anybody to say grace <laughs> in the in the government uh, uh, eating hall because they had gotten rid of so many of them but they, they had been on this fast road to decay for a long time now they were turning around and start thinking a different way there's a great deal more information in the books uh, and and much of it will seem to shock you at the beginning. But if you persevere and continue in the process, more and more will be revealed to you. But it is that revelation, not just the facts and information that we share. It's that revelation that we must increase. And that is... That's going to come by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit only comes with sacrifice. So you have to sacrifice time. You have to sacrifice energy. And if so, sacrifice money. But you have to really do it in earnest. And you cannot. We're not going to allow people to be undermining these other people that are waking up in this process. If we see you doing that, we will call you out on it. It's very, very clear the way of Christ leads to certain things. And it's also very clear that the way of Satan leads to certain things. 
which is why we have, you know, preachers worried that, you know, your keeping of days is worrying me because you're not following the true spirit. You have to be keeping the way of Christ. And that means taking care of one another. We've we've shared a lot about some of these things. And uh, if there are more questions about how this system of the church works it's it's both simple and complex the the and we have a section on that in the book and again the book is free online you don't have to buy the book i'm not selling you books i will sell you books if you want them i mean but we need money enough to pay the printers for those people that we give books away to also but the message of the gospel of the kingdom is simple as love but that that love, that, that's a tricky word because uh, people love steak and eggs. Uh, cats love birds. And dogs love to chase cats. <laughs> but love of Christ is coming from the inside out. It's not desiring what it can get from the outside in. This is why the guys with their music ministries and everything, the music is on the outside. That's flesh and blood. And they're trying to conjure up the Holy Spirit with flesh and blood? No, it doesn't work that way. God doesn't need, God is not so insecure that he needs your particular praise. You want to praise him, do what he says. Be a doer of the word. That is praise. So this, this relationship uh, that we have with Christ can create complex results and so therefore we think it's complex but it's really as simple as love but that love is a love to give it's not a love of what you want to take i love that woman because i want that woman that's that's lust but to love that woman is to set her free i mean what was the whole thing with the uh, uh, king saul or solomon excuse me uh, king solomon with a baby this woman claimed the baby. This woman claimed the baby. So he said, oh, we'll just cut the baby in half. And the woman who loved the baby would, was willing to give it up in order to save its life. That's how you know. Those who are willing to give up their comfort, their life, their money, their whatever, for love of others. There's a kingdom track. There's a Christ track. In that person's life. Give up your pride. That's the first thing you have to give up. And admit. Oh I was wrong. This isn't the way. That I've been going. This is this is not the church established by Christ. This is a church. You know everybody makes a big deal out of 501c3. 508. And it has its place. But I know a lot of churches that are not 501c3. That are not following Christ. They're separate. But they're not following Christ. They're not doing what Christ said. So what are you going to do about those guys? Now we have a lot of other supporting publications and a lot of other books and everything and articles and audios and all these kinds of things. But let's get serious about the kingdom so that we can actually start doing uh, a lot of our congregations because they're small. I mean, if you had 10 families, how big of a charitable project can you do with 10 families? But if you have 10 groups of 10, now you have 100 families or 1,000 families. 
Very little can go a long ways to starting real ministries and showing people how you can take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And the more you do that, the more people will see how that works and you will draw. That's where the word Corbin sacrifice comes from. It comes from the word to draw. You will draw those people who are hearing the Holy Spirit. Because in a lot of these churches that are singing and preaching half a gospel and everything, there are still people there that want to know the truth. You'll find a lot of those people who want to know the truth and act upon it are not even going to church anymore. So we're going to get them from all sorts of places. And that's okay. As long as we're pointing to Christ. Not to me. Not to your minister. He's not. He's just linking you with other people. He's linking your charity with other people who may be in need. And that is the Eucharist of Christ. Thankful giving. Not just to your local congregations, but to others. And not mindless giving that you see, you know, a Treflo dollar and all that stuff where these guys are, you, you're going to be looking for guys who are meek. Not lovers of money. Not going to spend it on foolishness. That's what, but you need to be giving in order to receive. To receive what? To receive the Holy Spirit. And you can't do it like you're going to give money to conjure it up. You know, if you throw money up at uh, me, you know, Trefalo says, and you're throwing it up, and then God will bless you. Well, you might get blessed, but I'm not sure it's the God of heaven. Because you're just squandering. You're just wasting. When you, you give it to these ministries that just, you know, got jets and big houses and all that kind of stuff. We don't do that. Now, I'm not telling you to give to me. I'm telling you, you need to give to be given to. You need to forgive in order to be forgiven. That's just the way it works. You need to care about others. Not just care about those that love you, but those that don't love you. That's why this idea of a congregation, looking for the perfect congregation, is a big mistake. You're not permitted to only love the children that love you. You must love all your children. You cannot just love those that love you. Those that are good. You have to love the good and the bad and the ugly. And that's what a congregation will help teach you how to do that. Because in every congregation we're going to have the good, the bad, and the ugly. But that is what tests us. It's just a free assembly. It's not a corporation. Now, the ministers, it's another thing. Especially ordained ministers. It's not going to be easy for us to recognize an ordained minister. You're, you're going to have to show us. We're going to pray about it. We're not, we're not a minister mill. Now, to be a licensed minister, Well, you just need to establish that with two or more witnesses. And then with what you do with what you've been given. It's not just to collect dust. It's to be moved to help others. And that's the way it works in the kingdom. It doesn't work like the world. It's another form of government that operates this other way. Not like what Rome was happening with Polybius. I mean, Plutarch said it. The greatest destroyers of liberty are givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. You have to be the other way. Until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.